When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Greetings and welcome to a special episode of Fuckboys of Literature. I'm your host, Emily Edwards. Though not my first episode featuring a guest that hosts a different podcast, last week I had Evan Fleischer of All the Orange Groves on. This week, you can consider our episode a simulcast. With me today is Rebecca Rush, host of the fantastic comedy and literature podcast, Comics Book Club. Rebecca does stand-up here in LA and is a million times funnier than I am. All right, we didn't listen to each other's podcast, did we? I did, a little bit. Oh, fuck. I didn't listen. That's all right. It didn't even occur to me until I pulled in the driveway, and I was like, what a beautiful street. I didn't listen to a podcast. <laughs> Is this the first time you've read On the Road? Yes. Really? Yeah, I never read it before. Oh, my. It's my favorite book. Is it really? And you know what? Even, like, I haven't read it in a long time, like, since, you know, I got awoken to feminism and mm-hmm. whatnot. Yeah. But I, I don't even care how misogynistic they are like I just love them they're so poetic I am I completely disagree with you like it it made me want to stab someone what the way they treat women no not even just the way they treat women just like everything about the story just tell me more okay so what's the best way to describe it so nothing happens it's just a constant list of things that ex- they experience. Yeah. And it's just life on the road. It's infuriating. You wanted like a plot. Yeah. I wanted like conflict. Oh, this yeah. is the first book that was uh, considered like stream of consciousness. Yeah, exactly. That wasn't like William Faulkner. Yeah. And it was published as autobiographical fiction because like memoir was so not a thing. Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't do that. That was kind of what saved me a little bit. It was remembering that this was like real and actually Jack Kerouac and hit the people that he hung out with. And he tried wrote it to like just, all like, at once. Yeah. Like he lived the whole thing and then he just sat down. down. Yeah. And wrote it. Yeah. I, it, it's 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 mind-boggling to me how There's much like, like one scroll that it like the original that's draft is on. what I what I heard is that it's literally just like a typewritten sheet of paper that mm-hmm. it just continues and continues and continues, and you can tell. I mean, there were like moments where Dean's like just like bothering people in the middle of America, like, "Hey, man, I'm just trying to get a ball." Yeah, and he just means a fuck. Like he's just like, I'm just trying to get a ball, yeah. man. Just trying to get a ball. I know. And he's so crazy. Have you ever known anybody like him? Oh, yeah. No. My freshman year of college, I had a friend who was obsessed with the Beats and obsessed with Jack Kerouac and obsessed with On the Road. And, you know, and he was exactly like this. And and I was like, it's because you're a 17-year-old boy and this has informed, like, your entire concept of adulthood and an artistic adulthood. I get that. And so I think that's probably another reason why I didn't like it very much is because, like... I just, that's, it's never informed my concept of an artist or an artistic adulthood. I took a whole class on the beats and the instructor let me read a poem I wrote to like 300 people. Oh, wow. 
And like she was all like Allen Ginsberg would have been proud. So uh-huh. I was like, te- yeah. you know, I was Ginsburg like, I love because he's people. the squarest of them all. Okay, so he was Carlo Marx. Yeah. In the book and him and Dean banged. Yeah, I know. Which is great. It's totally great. I love I, that. I, I, Ginsburg is probably the only beat that I have like patience for. And I feel like they all write so similarly. I, I like it's just like so like poetic and I don't know. I just love Jack Kerouac. So I cried when I read the last chapter, like the last paragraph with like the don't you know that God is poop. It's just like it's a it's like an ode to America, like an America that no longer yeah. exists. You it know? does not exist at all. <laughs> Which, I mean, I, I, I've surmised you're from Connecticut as well. Oh, yeah. We're yeah, both yeah. from Connecticut, right? Exactly. So, uh, you know, I speaking about New York and just like the difference in societies and things like that in between New York and California and everything in between that part I enjoyed that like the sociological perspective of it I enjoyed but the actual people just drove me up a goddamn wall I don't know why I just don't have the patience that's okay That's okay. I like, I read Henry Miller and I, and Kurt Vonnegut and I hated them so much. Gotcha. I'm a Kurt Vonnegut fan. Oh, Huge he just like fan. saw women as like, so like not even people. Yeah. It's... But like with the, I just like love Jack and it's so sad because he's an alcoholic, but he didn't have any money in on the road. Yeah. And then like once he sold on the road, which he was reported to say, like when it hit the New York times bestseller, he was like, fuck. Yeah. This doesn't feel the way that I thought it would feel. Right. I thought it was going to solve some problems and then it, it didn't. Right? Yeah. Which is terrifying yeah. about, it's like when you are like heavy or something, you're like, if I just lost 20 pounds, I'd be happy. And then you lose the 20 pounds yeah, exactly. and you're like, and you're, you're still, still miserable. Oof. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not, there's obviously not a terrestrial solution to the things that are. No, but then he the like had all, and then his books just got like worse and worse. <laughs> no. Which is the saddest thing. I feel mean, yeah. like the last good book he wrote was Dharma Bums. Dharma Bums and Big Sur were okay. And yeah. then like after that, it was just like, because he was drinking, because he had the money. Right, exactly. The money to drink the way he wanted to. And, you know, people celebrating you and what do literary celebrations always involve? Wine. Yeah. And champagne and zero care for how people are going to react to it or what people actually need. I thought there were so much more drugs in this book because no, I was younger when I read it. Yeah. And then I've done so many drugs in my life. <laughs> That I'm like, what? You guys like barely even smoke weed. Like, yeah, what? no, they, like yeah, one they get high a couple times. Up. Yeah, exactly. And that's about about it. And the guy who's beer. shooting up is a dad and like a father of like three or something right, like that. Right, that's William Burroughs. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. He's like the most stable yeah. character in the book. He's and like, he got shoots my wife, up. got my kids, just going to go do heroin in the back. Yeah. Yeah. Just a few times a day. And then yeah. she's on Benzedrine, which yeah. I always romanticized. It's just like some sort of weird speed they had yeah. in the 40s. Yeah, they gave it to people during World War II to stay awake, basically, while Aye. they were on the lines. And then everybody got addicted to it. And yeah. As you do. Yeah, exactly. It keeps you, you know, at the factory. Oh. Basically. Yeah, like, didn't Hitler invent meth? I, did he? That's what I heard once. It wouldn't shock it, like, me makes in the you least. horny and it makes you, like, want to, like, clean windows and shit. Yeah, exactly. So he, like, gave and it to it the people in the brothels and the soldiers and everybody yeah. was, like, making more Aryans and, yeah. you know, shooting Jews. Makes sense. Are you Jewish? I'm not. Ah, I am Jewish. Yeah. Fine. We have the, we got the same exact edition yeah, of the we book, do. too. It's such, like, a... It's all like rough edged pages. It's, really it's so romantic. And then it's just completely filled with me getting angry and scrawling on the pages. Oh, let's see some of that. Okay. So the oh, first one I have to admit is like 
page 11. Okay. Maybe 13. Uh, where is it? No, it's a little bit farther in. You can hear the rustling in the background. Oh, I was halfway across America. It's dark in here. I can't read. It's halfway across America and the dividing line between the east of my youth and the west of my future. And maybe that's why it happened right there and then that strange red afternoon. And literally after it, I just scrolled, dude, you're divorced already. That is the... It blew my mind. It's right after chapter three. What do you mean he's divorced already? Yeah, Sal Paradise is divorced before this story starts. No way. Yeah. I thought he. this was like when he was, he's divorced from his first wife already? Mm-hmm. Damn, Jack. So he's had a whole life before this even starts. Oh, so this is why he's like living with his aunt? Yeah, exactly. They all live off women, which they I do. think is like the definition of a fuck boy, right? Absolutely. There's like not one character, except the guy on heroin. Yeah, yeah. Or and else they're living off their dads, which is like another definition yeah, exactly. of a fuck There's boy. There's so many rich bastards in this book. That they're just like <laughs> they're the only ones with any money. Yeah, exactly. And Sal Paradise is so jealous of them you the think entire so? time. Yeah, there's one character who's like renting out a hotel room and living in it in Denver, and he's just saying Tim, like, "Tim, yeah, is it Tim Gray or I'm Tim so Rollins." So bad with names. It's okay. There's so many characters, yeah. and so many of them are like, just kind of, like, there's just like it's like a constellation around which Dean is like the sun. Yeah. And Sal is like yeah. the moon. And they're all jealous of Dean for like no explicable reason, as far as I can tell. Or they're just enamored with the fact that he's just can talk his way out of anything. And he's just this like magnetic character. I just don't understand it. I need someone to explain it to me. What, Dean? Yeah. He had like magical energy, you know? Have you ever like met one of those people? I'm way too cynical to be around those people. <laughs> There's a reason why, like, my podcast revolves around people I don't like you in don't books. Like. Yeah, I mean, this was like a world before nine eleven. <laughs> That's true. Bef- this is a world before Kennedy was shot. Yeah, this is a world before like a a lot of things that I feel like really, you know, America was still like people still believed in America. Yeah, in the 1940s. This was before like the golden age of serial killers. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting Before that Vietnam. we have an idea of America in the 1940s and 1950s where it's like this prosperous, everybody is working sort of, you know, mad men sort of concept of it. But I appreciate how much they focused on the poverty that the people were actually living in that they met when they were driving across America. Yeah. Well, there's a land in which it was still safe to hitchhike. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's wild. I know. I mean, there were no unattended female hitchhikers. That's true. We hadn't had a war on American soil since the Civil War at this point. So, like, yeah, they had just fought World War One and Two, but they weren't here. Yeah. Not that Vietnam was here, but it just oof. That was a interesting divide. Well, that was the first war that was televised. Yeah, exactly. That was more of a generational divide than, you know, a physical one. And then there's like jazz and like the way they talk. Black people and white people are so separated in this book. Yeah. Where they like, they, God, he talks about black people like they're like, he doesn't like look down. He, there's just like they're a different, he, like they I, really he, are a different whole thing. He to treats him. them almost like they're spiritual. He treats them almost like they're like gods and goddesses that are to be, that do something that he can't do. 
with the jazz playing. Oh my gosh, there was a part. <laughs> this must have pissed you off so bad because it cracked me up because it reminded me of white guys in comedy. He's like, I just wish I wasn't a street white man. Yes. And he's like so mad. He's like, I wish I was Mexican. I wish uh-huh. I was black or I wish I, wish I, was, I was gay. Like, I wish I was not just straight and white. Like, it's so hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> Sal Paradise. Oh my God. He just he he's he's got the easiest out of everybody in the in the he's got no addictions. He yeah. can drink or stop drinking. He doesn't really do any drugs. I mean, he died of cirrhosis of the liver. But the character's not written that way. Yeah, and it had because it hadn't. To assume alcoholism that is, is a thing that like you get to a certain different. point. Yeah, and then there's like no going back. Like they have this saying like. You can't turn a pickle back into a cucumber. Right. <laughs> so he's like still a cucumber. Yeah. Here. It's here. Mm-hmm. And assuming it's lightly fictionalized because he's got a different name than. Yeah. Well, I think he had to. Oh, really? Like, like legally? Yeah. At the time, you really couldn't. Like, like you just couldn't write about do that. yourself. You couldn't write about yourself. You couldn't write about all these people. Gotcha. Like America was like a different place where we were like, not like British, but like way more reserved. Yeah, no, you know, it was like sense. one of those like open secret things. Yeah. Like we could be that like, oh yeah, I code. know who that is, right? But I'm still not gonna say it. Gotcha. I like to use the book as like a jumping off point because a lot of people they haven't maybe read it. I think a lot of people have read On the Road, but I mean, I made that up in my head. No, I think most people have. I really do. I I didn't possibly purposefully, but it was never like assigned to me in high school or college or anything like that. It's just so romantic to me. And I guess that's like what Bukowski and Vonnegut and Miller are to other people. Yeah. And it made me want to it made me want to do comedy on the road. And comedy on the road is like it's fine like it's make you make money which you don't really yeah, make exactly. in the cities as much, especially not LA, but god damn, it's lonely. You're just like sitting around all day waiting for one show at night. Yeah, and you're just like sitting in like a restaurants of, and a lot of your like hotel room, grody ass hotel. And then yeah. it's like I'm not making that much money featuring. I'm not headlining yet. So do I want to like go spend money during the day? I don't. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's yeah. just like then, you know, like what message am I sending? Yeah, exactly. The universe, if I'm going to spend more than I'm making, I need to like yeah. be up it's when I come home. It's a rough life. I've never done it, but I've heard that it is incredibly, incredibly draining because you're not around people. You don't, you don't get really to bring a buddy with you. sleep. Yeah. You know, I did this road run where we were driving I was with the worst fuck boy. Like, and I knew it was like one of my last drinking. I like planned it. So I'm like, I'm going to get yeah. wasted. It was like a brewery tour. It was a fucking fuck man that ran it. Ugh. And like this guy had already treated me like shit. I got there the first night. Like, and I, but I wanted to work on a chunk of Jewish material and there were shows in Miami and Boca. Okay. And then those shows both got canceled. Oh, and no. then we were just in central Florida and Mississippi. Oh, no. Mississippi was great to work on my Jew material. I was like in the middle of a Jew joke and this guy in the crowd goes, Jews are shifty. Oh, no. I was like, yo, I was getting to that. but <laughs> Way to kill the joke. But the first night I got there. We just drank in Boca instead because nobody yeah. showed up. And we had already had sex, him and I. And I had like... It was his birthday and I owed him nothing. So I'd paid for the date. And then he like did that thing where he jumped out of the cab, like leaving me to pay for it. And I was like, oh, Uh, he's just insecure and emasculated because I paid. I just kept lying to myself the whole whole night. He's just cheap. And he like walked out of the bar 
and the bartender followed us out like, oh, you didn't pay. And he looked at me and I'm not drinking. I don't drink. I'm like, I'm not buying your drinks. No. And then I was like, you want to come over? Because that's how I yeah. felt about myself a year ago. And and I hated his ex-girlfriend. And that all made sense yeah, to exactly. me. Yeah, exactly. Like, I really computes. wanted to stick it to her. Because she had canceled on a show of mine and, like, for a really, really shitty reason. And, like, it, we'll get it, back at her. And it was like, I, and it made sense to me. God, I've grown so much. <laughs> so we get to, um, God, I hate this guy. We get to, and his act sucks. Like, his act sucks so bad. Like, he would throw himself on the bed at night and be like, I hate my act. And I'd be like, yeah. You can write another one. Like, it was the same jokes every fucking night. And they were so middle of the country, like Walmart and like, ugh. Uh, I won't say any more of the subjects because he's doing the same act for however yeah, many you'll years. Yeah, recognize it. But he turns to me and he goes, I would never date a girl that's easy to fuck. We had already fucked. And we had known each other for like a year and had been flirting for like a year. It was just the first time we went on it. Second what? time we went on a date, actually. What a bastard. And he's like, you know, I'd fuck him. I guess I'm just old fashioned. And I was just like, okay, cool. Like, I don't, I would never uh, date a poor guy. Yeah. I just fuck them. Mm-hmm. I'm old fashioned too. <laughs> but it was just like, wait a second. I flew down to Florida, motherfucker. Yeah. And then we're going to spend all day in the car together. How dare you? Sharing a hotel room. At least have tact. He put less, and I just kept having sex with him. <laughs> He put le- he was like Dean. He put less effort into it every day, just like it started with a level of effort up here, yeah. and then it was here, and then it was here, and then it was like because they get off on that, they really do. And then I was like, I'm gonna sleep in a different bed. Yeah. And then he was like, Come back. Yeah. No, they, it's a power trip. That's uh, what being a fuck boy is. Is that okay? It's let's talk trip. about what a fuck boy is to you. Well, to me, it's. It's always based in power and fucking people over. You can't just, you know, be, you know, fun. Like a friend of mine had brought up Casanova as an idea of a fuckboy to him. And I was like, no, like the character of Casanova, I don't know if he was a real person or not. I don't fucking care. But, um, you know, he went around, slept with all these women, but everybody enjoyed it. And they knew that they couldn't, you know, tie him down. That's not a fuckboy. Everybody knows what they're getting into with that. But a fuckboy is someone... Colloquially, it started out as just a bad person, but that's not complicated enough. But, like, it's someone who purposefully enjoys, you know, dangling a future that they're not going to give you in front of you. Ugh. Yeah. And whether or not that's a sex relationship or, you know, a romantic relationship or anything like that, they enjoy dangling it in front of you and they always have to have some kind of power over you like they enjoy coming in hot and being like i want to do this and i want to do that you know like yeah i was realizing the other day because somebody like showed up in my life a month ago and promised me all these things and i'm like this are never no you're no walk away because yeah there was somebody that showed up in my life that actually just they never promised those things they just did them yes like that was it like they never said like oh i'm gonna take you to taylor swift next year and we're gonna do this i'm gonna buy you this like they just do it yeah that's a healthy relationship hopefully but yeah fuck boys don't do that they like get off it's like such a Mm -hmm. what you hear about when you hear about la like people just get off on the promises yeah they enjoy disappointing you i felt like it was like they enjoy feeling good about themselves when they make the promise that makes sense but i guess that's the other side yeah but do you think they yeah. get off on the shame? Like, do you think there's a shame aspect that they get off on with themselves of being like, oh, I'm such an asshole? <laughs> I don't know if they would ever consider themselves to be bad people or negative in any way. 
No. No, I think they see it as like necessity. You know those guys who are like, oh, I was dating this girl, but she got too clingy, so I just had to like completely ghost her and never talk to her again. Yeah, or it's always she someone was too else's, much. Yeah, it's always someone else's fault. There's yeah. never, fault never lies in a fuckboy, ever. What was that movie? It was called Baby Boy, maybe? That yeah. guy was such a fuckboy. Where he was like cheating on his girl with this other girl, and he had a kid, and he lived with his mom. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. They never take responsibility for themselves. Which is why it's like a gender neutral term for me, too. Like, there's plenty of women who act like this as well. It's just a responsibility thing, a power thing. I feel like Dean, like, never let Sal talk. Did you? Yes. Dean just, he steamrolls over people. At one point, you know, I, I towards the end of the book, Sal wanted to say to Dean, like tell him a story that he had passed through a certain like train station or something like that while he was hitchhiking with someone else and he wanted to tell Dean that story and Dean just kind of talks right over him and Sal was like oh I guess he didn't want to hear it and it's like no Dean's a narcissist there's a huge difference he a narcissist can't have emotions towards other people they don't want to connect with you it's only about their own ego do you think that Sal is like super codependent I think Sal was looking for a thrill. You know, to the character, removing him from Kerouac. I think Kerouac was probably codependent. But or do you think he's like a covert narcissist where they get off on like associating themselves? Even though like Dean's he's like not a high status. Yeah, but... he's like more of like a beta narcissist. Like he wants to be by the cool person and by that, you know, association. But but Sal has connections in New York. Sal's the one with all the connections. All the connections and all the money. Like the aunt, the GI Bill, the mm-hmm. ability and like. He knows everybody that Dean knows already mm-hmm. in New well, York. Well, he introduces Dean to everyone. Yeah, exactly. He knows all the artists and Dean's. Oh, yeah. Dean like meets him because he wants to learn how to be a writer. Yes. Dean's not yeah. an artist. He's not a writer. I don't think he ever. He doesn't ever write anything. No. And then everybody Sal knows is like off in Denver finishing their book or yeah, writing exactly. poems in a cold water flat. And... Or oh, of Oh, that's why they had time to do that. Yeah. Yeah, There's... I guess you can't just sit around and write books like. If you've got no money coming in. No. Sal's the poor one of his group of friends. And he's not even that poor. And he's not even that poor. He went to college. And he has like army money coming. And he has army money coming And he has a family. In. And he's got uh, not that he doesn't have to pay any rent to. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And he even like eats his aunt's food and doesn't like buy groceries. <laughs> what the grocery store was like in the 40s? I don't know. They didn't have supermarkets back then. No. Supermarkets weren't didn't come around until LA was really developed. LA developed supermarkets? Mm-hmm. Huh. Because they had enough land to pave it to make parking lots. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. It's real big out here. Exactly. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it makes me sad that he hates L.A. so much. I love it. I, I've lived, How long have you lived here? Since December, but I've been on, oh, you've on the been road like every month. Yeah, no. 12 years. Yeah? Do it's, you hate it? I hated it for a long time. Okay. What but I you, like it now. What did you hate? Um, It's a hard city to be broken. Okay. It's a, I mean, it's just a hard city to be broken, and it really just dampens life. That makes sense. Yeah, so is New York. Yeah. 
I've never lived in New York, which is kind of a bummer to me. You know, so you went straight from Connecticut to California? Boston for college and then to California. Where did you go to college? Emerson. Oh, cool. Yeah. I feel like my stepsister went there. Actually, speaking of her, can we do an ad? Yeah, of course. Hey, okay, uh, Salem Style, as you, if you've ever heard the podcast before, oh, but I think there might be some new listeners because we're doing the crossover. Salem Style is handmade crocheted items made with love in Salem, Massachusetts. You can find it on Etsy backslash Salem Style, Instagram Salem Style, and Facebook Salem Style. There are also curated accessories and, uh, I have a tote bag that I super love that I carry my books in. And if you're listening right now, you can get 10% off everything in the store. It's also iced coffee cozy season. Are they koozies? Are they cozies? You know what? They can be whatever you want. <laughs> they fit a Dunkin' Donuts cup because they're from Mass. There you go. And uh, it's RUSH, R-U-S-H, all caps, 10% off for all of you. Okay, cool. I love Salem. I used to live outside of Salem. It's a cute little town. It's so cute. Yeah. I know. And I, like, circling back to on the road, there's, yeah. like, so many parts of the country that I haven't been to that, because I don't travel all that much. It's just, like, I've lived in three places, you know? Connecticut, I, Boston, California. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So it was kind of interesting to, to, to see when they go to Louisiana, I think, mm -hmm. and they just talk about the humidity. And he's very good at describing setting yeah it's like oh it makes it just so like you just want to get in a car and like drive but it doesn't feel like how he writes it yeah no it doesn't have you ever been to denver no i've never been to denver me neither makes me want to go but i know it's like overrun with like homeless people like that are there for the pot yeah exactly which is like a weird statement but that's what i heard from somebody that lives there yeah like people just show up to like work in weed or smoke yeah. weed freely or whatever like can they want to like the same way now camp in all the... the pot farms up there oh, where and... people are really more itinerant yeah and they just want they're like all right the weather is kind of okay and i'm just going to camp out and smoke weed yeah exactly and like make it yeah like get by not yeah. make it that's a different kind of but statement I people who are obsessed with weed like i find it really funny because the it's not a physically addictive drug. You know, you just enjoy it. It feels like it is. Like, I was really, it was really hard for me to quit weed. Yeah. And like, there was, like, a definite physical detox that I went through and, like, shakiness and, like, was sweatiness. Really? Yeah, I smoked so much for so long. And I've talked to other people yeah. that, like, weed was their thing. Okay, never mind. I'm going to ignore that well, fact that I was taught. It's okay. Like, yeah. it's if you don't go through it, like, you don't really eat, you don't really sleep for, like... It sucks. It's not like alcohol. Yeah. You know, I've never detoxed from opiates, thank God. But yeah. it's not like from what I've heard of that. Yeah. But there is like and definite had, like, like physical reactions to not totally. having it in your body anymore. And then you have to like relearn how to live life. Yeah. I've, I always imagined that was the biggest hurdle of like yeah. relearning how to like, you but know. There's definitely like a physical craving and like physical symptoms that happen. Gotcha. Like you're super spacey and like you're almost like all the negative parts of weed are like worse in the first few weeks. Like you're stupider, your short term memory is worse. Gotcha. Like, you're like your energy level is super, super low. Yeah, you're spacey like and like, yeah, you'll get like hot and cold sweats. Headaches Ugh. are like a huge thing. It's it's gnarly, That's especially awful. because of legal weed, like the amount of marijuana like we can shove into our body. Like, I don't know that weed 
at the levels like you can just smoke weed like there's only so much yeah. weed you can smoke but then when you start adding in like the vape pens and the edibles you can shove so much more THC yeah, exactly, into your body there's so you many can, different formats you can it. like ramp it up to this level that yeah. it's like so toxic and you can how much can you buy now that it's legal like as much as you fucking want there's a million dispensaries you could just go yeah I've never like ha- I've never been turned down. I've spent fifteen hundred dollars at once in a yeah, dispensary. Exactly. They didn't. They weren't like and oh, it that's used to too just much. Be like however much you can scrounge together and manage to buy, you know, mm-hmm. or at least before like cards and stuff like that or medical cards here mm-hmm. in California. Back when it was illegal everywhere, you know, it was at least a limited amount that you could purchase, unless you were ungodly wealthy. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, like we, in college, they no. just opened up dispensaries in Massachusetts, and they have a limit there. Yeah, because they only have one or two dispensaries, and they that makes sense. They don't want to run out. That's a good point. That had never occurred to me. That like that that's what it's just about. Gonna, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they can't. They don't want to run out. <laughs> <laughs> it's just supply and demand, and in California, there's there's a such in a supply limited supply. Yeah, I don't know how much weed they would cut you off at. Oh, God. Someone's got to know. That's worth finding out. Someone find us on Twitter. You'll tell us. Email comicsbookclub at gmail.com and tell me your stories of... Trying to buy out a weed dispensary. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, I'm just going to buy the whole place. Yeah. I wonder... Yeah. This is mine now. Maybe, like, honestly, maybe a lot of my turnoff to On the Road is the fact that I've, like, I've never really done any kind of, like drugs or substances or anything like that it's not like a a moral choice or anything it's just not something I've done it's yeah I mean it's better that way you know like you never know when you're gonna get stuck in one and then like lose years of your life yeah exactly like there's all sorts of consequences and you do things you would never do my mom was a psychiatric social worker before I was born okay and one of her patients was someone who had dropped LSD and just never stopped tripping you, I used to hear about that growing up, but I never like because it does. It stays in your spinal fluid, mm-hmm. and so her trip was that, and this was her entire life was that everything in her life was covered in cockroaches. No way! Yeah. I've done so much. Ele- I remember hearing those stories, like, oh, and she just thinks she's a glass of orange juice forever, like people jumping off rooftops. Yeah. But like, no, it's but not. that that like never happens anymore. Though, is the LSD different? I think the LSD is different. Oh shit! Back from like the 1970s LSD. That I makes think it's different. they changed the chemical composition. Yeah. I actually worked for someone who like knew Timothy Leary, and like went to his wedding. Oh shit! Have you acid. read the no, electric Kool Aid acid test? It's a I good haven't. book. I should read it. Highly recommend. If I hate on the road, like how much will I appreciate? Timothy Leary, I think, is one of the characters in this I book. I feel like he is too. He didn't. These were like different camps. Yeah. You know, they were all like serious. Like there was like these different. Because for Larry, it was a them. spiritual thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a lot of meditation. Yeah, and for these guys, I never got the impression that it was a, a like a higher planes concept. Oh, it was Leary versus Kesey. It was like the Merry yeah. Pranksters versus like Leary and his Harvard and his meditation yeah, and his exactly. like attempting Which to is find its own oneness. Brand of insufferable. And and insanity, yeah, right. Because like we're embodied, right? We're there's only so spiritual you can really get. Exactly. Like you're here to be in a body. Yeah. You can't, you know. There's like, only one way to get onto an astral plane, which is death. Exactly. So you can like you're gonna die, promise. Mm-hmm. Like so you're gonna be all the spirit that you need to be. So yeah. like I don't know, be in a body right now. Yeah, exactly. Enjoy it while you're here. <laughs> it's limited. 
There's only so much you can do. Right. And then you're going to forget in between. Yeah. And then you pick a new journey and then you go back down. Maybe you keep one or two memories from a past life. Yeah. That sounds way more pleasant. (laughs) And accepting of the fact that it's going to come to an end and there will be a future. I have memories. I was born with memories from a past life. Were you? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. It's kind of comforting, huh? Yeah, it is. There's just a couple. I always knew I lived in New York and like stuff will pop in. Like, have you ever met anyone you have like a soul connection oh, with? Yeah. And you just know like those come from being together before. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. So when I meet somebody that I have a soul connection with, but then it's like, it doesn't necessarily mean that I should be in their life because like they could have murdered me. Yeah, exactly. I could have murdered them. Yeah, but you just have a connection. Like sometimes to I'll have because... like a vision like, oh, I could like this guy I met recently, like I could see us in Italy together, like making dough. Interesting. Like we worked together yeah. and we were like this dusty, weird, like everything was kind of pastel in my memory. It's like making dough together. That's fascinating. But the memory I was born with is I uh, I was in New York mm-hmm. and I've always felt super comfortable there. I've always been able yeah. to find my way around drive and I was in the subway at 28th Street and like, and this was before Google or any of that. Yeah. There was like no way I would have, and I hadn't been to New York in right. my life and I was like four or five remembering this. And I, I don't know if I was a man or a woman, honestly, in this story, and I don't think it matters, but I tripped, and I almost fell in front of an oncoming train, oh and gosh. somebody like grabbed me by the back of the coat and pulled me back, mm-hmm. and when I turned around, there was nobody there. Oh, my God. So I was like, it took me forever to realize, why would I carry that with me? Yeah. Like, why would I bring it? But then last year or the year before, I was like, oh, it's because like, I needed to remind myself that things were going to be really scary for a while. But that like guardian angels existed yeah. and like there was somebody that had my back, like quite literally. That's amazing. So even if I stumble, like I'm not going right. to fall in front of the train. Fall. There'll be someone there for you. Yeah. Or some, yeah. Something. Yeah. But I guess someone, whether they're embodied or not. But the first time I went into 28th Street subway station. It chills. Yeah, man. Yeah. It was really intense. And Jack actually talks about this in the book a lot, which I didn't notice the last first, time I yeah. read it when I was in my 20s. He like runs into a lady at a hashery and she's like, oh God, I was her son before and I was ungrateful yeah. and she worked so hard and I just like took too much from her. He like multiple times brings up and it just, he's like so spiritual in his way and like tapped in even though he is an enabling fuck boy and he's totally going to bang Mary Lou. He doesn't give a oh, shit. Oh, absolutely. He gives zero shits. And then he leaves like Terry, the little Mexican lady. Yeah. With her kid, yeah. Well, I mean, I he tries. He tries that. harder though. Yeah. Like he tries to play house. Yeah, he he gives it a he gives it a solid chance. He is like he's definitely the him and the heroin addict are like the most stand up guys. Yeah, absolutely. What about Ed Dunkel? Which one was Ed? He's the one who marries that girl oh, Galatea like for her him. money, and then, and then when then she runs out of him. money, he like leaves he's, her in somebody else's house. He's such a shit. <laughs> he's such a shit. But he ends up with these yeah, women just, just like love them anyway. Yeah. Because I guess it's more of a commentary time. on how. Do you think like women actually behave that way towards them, or was this like a, uh, like a fantasy about how women would behave towards them? Well, okay, it was the '40s, so women needed men way more. Yeah, so exactly. think about how that like informed their behaviors. Yeah. But they could still file for divorce if they went to like Nevada and but stuff. But it was like, like that. so disre- It was so disrespected. True. So, like you could yeah. not like and a lot of them were like pregnant or had babies and you just can't be a single mom yeah like, it was in the 1940s and oh it's it impossible. was way more what the neighbors think mattered and yeah. that was going to depend it was almost like or there's that one single mom that sal goes and like stays at her house for a while and she's just janet like, the town no, janet's weirdo. the 13 year old the okies yeah the okies <laughs> 
<laughs> and she's just like the town weirdo and everybody yeah. is like what are you doing and then he just like destroys her house and leaves she's treated like a witch yeah like the 1940s witch You're like on the edge of the town mm -hmm. she's got these feral children that like don't really you know go to school or anything i guess it's the summer yeah, you so. can't like be part of the society without a man yeah at all at all and like most of these women they don't want to work maybe they have a little money from their family yeah, but exactly they are not working yeah most of them aren't yeah they're not working they don't have jobs it's almost like they have dowries that the men that they have like when the men meet them yeah and then they in on the road they just kind of use or, up their yeah, dowry like you're allowed and to work when them. you were single but once you were married you, you you were usually fired that too yeah yeah pregnant women didn't get to keep their jobs nope, they got canned and birth control wasn't available it wasn't legal right yeah it wasn't even legal for married women in the 1940s wow yeah you were just like at your husband's whim basically well and then if you needed a husband to be like proper in society wouldn't you want to have a kid try to keep them around it doesn't work with uh old dean nope not at all he he, he yes. is just so crazy to me because he's such a fuck boy but he keeps going back to the same women yeah and they keep letting him back and like sal never describes him like he's described as just being gross like, <laughs> he's like he's, dirty all the time he's like always naked and sweaty <laughs> he had to have a big dick yeah there's no other way and i feel like he was tall like i feel like he, we really? always because like, i always imagine him to being like a short little meatball-y kind of guy dean yeah in my head he's like six foot four. Oh, really in my head he's like five foot seven interesting yeah his name was neil cassidy which is just so sexy yeah that's a great name right that's like a 1970s starlet like star name so camille's real name was like carolyn okay carolyn cassidy she wrote a book called off the road ah which was it just gave me the chills i have not read it but i want to yeah that i would probably appreciate <laughs> Yeah, because she it's at one point becomes friends it. with, he's got a West Coast wife, and Mary Lou gets married finally, and it's just like, I have, oh, thank God. But she she's only 15 out. when, what? She, Mary Lou was only 15 when Dean meets her. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, God. when he starts dragging her around, she was, I think he, I want to say, how old do you think they were in this book? Like 30? <sighs> Sal says at some point he's like 25, really? and Dean's about the same age. That's so so they're like, they're like at the age where during the time they should be adults. That's true. But now, like, they could be babies. Yeah. You know, like adolescence, now less until you're like men are like 38. But I feel like by the end of the book, they have to be like 30. This happens over yeah, like it's years. Yeah, it's over like a long period of time. So Dean probably meets Mary Lou right in the beginning. So she's 15. Yeah. And he's like in his like early, I think he's a little bit younger than Sal. So he's like in his early 20s. That's right. He is a couple years younger yeah, than Sal. Because Sal is like, I'm going to be a big brother to this guy, basically. Yeah. I'm going to show him the ropes. I'm going to show him what it means to be an artist. And then he just ends up trailing behind him like a puppy dog for the entire time. Yeah. Kind of like Eeyore, but less yeah. sad. Yeah. Yeah. He is less sad. You, you never get the impression that Sal was, like, upset with what he's chosen. He totally accepts Dean for what... He leaves him in with a dysentery in Mexico. Yes. <laughs> like, no. he's just, he's like, at that moment, I realized he was a rat. Yeah. But he totally... And at, like, one point, he won't give 
at one point he won't give them a couple of his sandwiches when it's yes. like the last he and has. And he's like pissed off and he's got these like rotten salami <laughs> sandwiches on a bus and he's just like, they're my fucking sandwiches. Yeah, they're definitely not making it to New York. No. If he like, that they're was like. Unrefrigerated lunch meat sandwiches That was on like once one time where like he could have given them some sandwiches because yeah. they were going to be bad and they could eat. Yeah. But it's like Dean's always just take like, oh, they. Like the balls on them. Like, I oh, know. we want some of your sandwiches. And they just take it. The food. They don't even like beg on, like they could have bust or something. Yeah, something. Believe it or not, like the food, like references throughout the book are like one of the reasons why I was like, these men are just children and it makes me angry. Because every single time Sam uh, Sal gets like a little bit of money or he only has a little bit of money left, he buys ice cream and pie and cookies. <laughs> and I'm just kind of like, you Fucker, buy something with like sustenance to it, not like a slice of goddamn cherry pie. He eats pie all across the he country. Eats, he just eats pie. He's like, oh, I had 75 cents left, so I got some pie and I could get some ice cream. And it's like, you are not a fucking adult. You're just eating pie. Whenever they have a few dollars, they'll get steaks too. <laughs> They're not like, oh yeah, let's get some like chicken, like whatever yeah, is like, reasonable. Yeah, no. They just wait to find a woman friend to cook. And he like gets steaks. caught and be like, I have a woman friend who gives me whiskey and money and big suppers. <laughs> no. Like big suppers. Big suppers. No small suppers. Nope. <laughs> nope. Hardy suppers for That's, hardy men. We never even learn her name. No. There's She's just, just women a, a woman friend who gives him money and yeah. whiskey and big suppers. Do we even know Sal's aunt's name? Or no. Is she just like the aunt? She doesn't have a name. Yep. <laughs> <sighs> and one of the women, like her name is just Babe. Babe Rollins. Yep. Because she's a rich bitch and she's like very pretty. I think Babe is her name that she goes it's by. It's like her nickname, yeah. I just love it. But even every single hobo that he meets on the road has a name. Yes. Like Montana Slim. First of all, like, Victor. Every woman, he describes her faults. Have you noticed that? Like she, like no. she had a big nose. You know, just like every single one. Or like she was just like slightly too plump to be pretty. Like those are the kinds of descriptions that he gives women. <laughs> and then every man, it's like he had a large, you know, he had a distinguished visage. And like and, and every, <laughs> you could tell that he was like a little bit closeted, you know, because every Jack? man. Sal. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Because every man that he runs across, he fawns over. Those are some daddy issues. Yeah. Dean, obviously, we literally, he spends the whole book looking for his daddy. Yeah. Never finds him. Never finds him. Nope. His cousins are like, oh, fuck out of here. But Jack Kerouac was by. Was he? Yeah. Makes sense. Or at least he slept with men. I don't want to say that that necessarily. I didn't know that. I thought he was like the straight one of the bunch. No, he he slept with men, too. Good for him. Yeah. But like, uh, it peaks out a little bit in the book, to me at least. So is that why he put up with so much of Dean's shit? I think so. But Dean banged Allen Ginsberg, but not but Jack? Not Jack Kerouac. Oh. Yeah, I know. Sucks. Which might be another reason why he was like a puppy behind him. Like it was just like the love that never was consummated. That makes sense. I wonder if he thought maybe when they went to Italy, because they were supposed yeah. to go to Italy, they never made it like there. Like romantic. Yeah, I mean, Italy is pretty romantic. Yeah, it's like a honeymoon destination. Totally. Yeah, but then they just like go to Mexico and spend all their money in a brothel. This stupid book made me fall in love with San Francisco, and I'm grateful that the first time I went, it was like pretty cool. Yeah. But that was like at the beginning of the tech boot, like seven years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, it's back when you could actually like afford 
anything you couldn't there. afford things then but you could go and like kind of still like the spirit of the hippies was a little bit there yeah, seven years ago where you could all. like couch surf and i stayed at a comedy commune and like yeah. i guess i was more naive but now it's just like i don't like it anymore yeah everyone's just like so ready to get offended about something they've never experienced yeah exactly I don't like San Francisco. I hate it. Yeah. But this San Francisco was fuck it. It was before Amazon and Apple existed. Yeah. It sounded beautiful. It was so right. It was probably like the coolest city in America. It's so sad. Yeah. Is there any place like that anymore? No. Not really. Because anywhere that was even remotely cool has been ruined by tech. Yeah. Because even like Asheville, North Carolina is like, it's not hippie anymore. Ojai isn't even hippie anymore. Yeah. It's not really. Well, it's like a place for celebrities to go and hide out. Like Channing Tatum has a house up yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there are a lot of celebrities that live up there. Sedona's like gotten ta- gotten super touristy. Yeah. And even uh, Breaking Bad turned Santa Fe into like a place that people go on vacation and it's all like polished up. Like a, a show about meth and death. Yeah. And people and are like, yeah, and now there's like boutique hotels and fancy coffee places and stuff like that. I think Santa Fe used to be like an artist's place. Yeah, it was, definitely. There's no, no, one, no one values art anymore. They value content and influence. Yeah. I'm having more fun out here, but also I have AA, so like I meet strangers. That's a good point. I meet and discard strangers constantly. <laughs> well, it's just t- like time is, time goes. Yeah. You know, and you're like, oh, like, I don't even have a need to re- boring or something or like, oh, this isn't going to yeah, you're cool. But I, I just can't. Yeah, but you don't have to establish a, a relationship with people. There's just too many people that yeah. you meet. You don't need anything from them except for like why you're there. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of lonely out here. New York is lonely, too. I guess everywhere is lonely. Everywhere is lonely now. Unless you live in like the same place where you grew up. Yeah. And then everyone's up in your business. Yeah, exactly. And I don't want that. I don't want that. Either. No, I moved to big cities because it's lonely. <laughs> like, I don't need people in my, sh- like, in my <laughs> shit. I just, you know, you can have my Twitter and then that's it. Like, that's all I'm going to give you. <sighs> I don't even like being on camera. Like. <laughs> I want to call the episode I moved to big cities because it's lonely. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> So thank you all so much for listening to our episode about On the Road. My guest today was Rebecca Rush of Comics Book Club. Be sure to subscribe to her podcast and this one and find us on all sorts of social media platforms. Fuckboys of Literature is on YouTube and most podcatchers, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm your host, Emily Edwards, and you can find me on most platforms under the handle Ms. Emily Edwards. Be sure to message me and say hi. It's the highlight of my day to hear from listeners, but especially the listeners who like the podcast, that part is crucial. If you have any questions or whatever, we want to hear it. Thanks for listening and have a good one. Email comicsbookclub at gmail.com and tell me your stories of trying to buy out a weed dispenser. (laughs)